Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. We are excited today to have McKay Christensen with us. McKay is a good friend. We've been friends for over 40 years, and uh, he's a business leader, an author, a professor, a podcaster. McKay received his MBA from BYU, a PhD in adult and organizational learning. He currently teaches as an adjunct professor at the Marriott School of Business at BYU. He has worked with some, some large companies, some Fortune 500 companies like Procter & Gamble, Holiday Inn. Uh, he's been the president and chief strategy officer at Melaleuca. And uh, now he's the CEO at Thanksgiving Point. McKay currently hosts a weekly podcast called Open Your Eyes at OpenYourEyes.org. For more than a decade, McKay's done training seminars on personal development and team leadership. He has authored the book, Open Your Eyes, 10 Uncommon Lessons to Discover a Happier Life. McKay also writes for Meridian Magazine. He and his wife, Jennifer, live in Alpine, Utah, and they have five children and nine grandchildren. So really excited to have McKay on with us today. And now we'll go right to our interview with McKay. Well, I am excited to be here with McKay Christensen today, a friend of mine for a long time. McKay, we've I don't know how much you remember of the summer of 1981, but that was when uh, you came down from American Fork and uh, we spent uh, the summer with some friends working and getting ready for missions. And I uh, can't believe that was 40 years ago. I can't believe it either. And it was a great summer because you were there, Mark. And it was a pleasure for me to spend that time with you and also time with you in college. I've, I've always remembered those times as some of the best in my life. Yeah, me too. It was so awesome. We 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 went to school. We taught at the MTC. We uh, we almost stayed out of trouble a time or two. And <laughs> a good thing we met our wives about that time, and they kept us on the straight and narrow path. That is more true than you know. <laughs> McKay, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about you, your family, what you're doing these days. So I'm the father of five children and nine grandchildren. My wife Jennifer and I live in Alpine, Utah. Uh, I'm currently, uh, I teach adjunct at the Marriott School of BYU. I am the CEO of a place called Thanksgiving Point in Lehigh, Utah, and I have a podcast called Open Your Eyes. And I love Open Your Eyes uh, every Monday morning. It's how I start my Monday morning with a little Open Your Eyes. uh, uh, Good, good stuff. It's like, it's, it's, it's a wonderful inspirational program, McKay, that you're doing. So we're so grateful. Many of us are. McKay, you've spent a lot of time in a lot of organizations in, in, in high-level positions, and I wanted to talk a little bit about culture today. The idea of our podcast is preserving and strengthening families, but I think it'd be really awesome to just develop the idea of what culture looks like in organizations first, and then kind of transition that to marriage and family life. But let's let's just talk about it. I mean, just just give us a little rundown here and educate us for a minute on on what culture is and how it how vital it is to to an organization. When I got my PhD in organizational behavior and learning, uh, the the professors used to walk around and they had this famous saying, which is "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." 
Meaning wow. you can have all the strategy in the world that you want to help a family or organization thrive and prosper. But if you don't have the right culture, it won't matter at all. And so many of us, leaders, parents, don't understand culture. We don't diagnose it. We don't try and influence uh, what it is. And as a result, we pay little attention to it. But culture, perhaps more than anything else, will guide your organization. It does in the church. It does in your family. And you may not be consciously paying attention to it, but those that do, those that know what their culture of their family is and try and guide it, all of a sudden get the culture to work for them and they don't have to do as much leading. The culture does the leading for them. That's such a great, such a great thought. You know, it, it reminds me of being taught my, by my dad growing up that if you hold the saw the right way and rock it in a certain direction, the, the saw actually works for you. You're not working against the tree. The saw is doing the work. And I love that idea of culture. And so maybe some examples, McKay, I know we need to keep uh, we need to keep confidential, maybe the organizations, but maybe a contrast of a poor culture versus a healthy culture. I'd be happy to do it. Let's yeah. let's start with what culture is, perhaps that might help us a bit. Yeah, no, I think so. Culture is the unspoken behaviors, the mindsets, uh, the social patterns that exist in an organization. And these things guide the behavior of the family or organization. It's the values that the leaders and the team members or children share. It's the language they use and the behaviors they display and the meaning they make from what's happening around them. So let me give you an example of a, of a culture and a healthy culture and an unhealthy culture. Sure. So in my household growing up, my mother uh, was... Uh, very, very concerned about a few things. She was a task-oriented person. So at six o'clock, my dad, who uh, who grew up in the Air Force, woke us up. At 6.15, we were at the breakfast table reading scriptures and eating breakfast. At 6.45, we had 30 minutes to complete our jobs. My <laughs> mom would walk around and inspect the work we cleaned the house top to bottom every single day. And she praised those who did work well. Right. And at 7.15, you were then free to get ready for school and be on your way. My mother, bless her heart, a wonderful woman, emphasized those types of things, task achievement. She de-emphasized and rarely had social connection, rarely had verbal interchange with her children, but praised them on accomplishment of things. Mm. So I grew up, uh, and what was I really good at? I was great at tasks. I was great at working hard. I was great at seeing things through. I was poor at connecting with people. So whether she knew it or not, her culture that she created in the household growing up has had a lasting impact on me and my brothers and sisters because of what we va thought was valuable and what wasn't valuable in life. Right. We thought that, hey, we grew up getting, your, getting the house clean and getting an A in school was valuable. Connecting with other people, not so much, right? Right. And you can see the impact of it. Uh, on the opposite side, there were some great things about the culture my mother created. 
she was a do it now. If we went to church and the bishop said you should hold family home evening, we went home and we had family home evening. It was automatic. She was quick to observe. Right. And as a result, I valued being quick to observe. So obedience on something, on some levels, was fairly automatic for me and my brothers and sisters. Does that make sense? Right. So there's two sides of a culture that was created in a family, one not so healthy, one very healthy. Right. And I'm sure that part of that culture was passed down now to your children as well, right? I'm sure they grew up in a way where those uh, chores, and, I don't, and maybe you didn't do it all by 6.45 in the morning, but but I'm sure that some of those elements were there in your own home, right? My my four children got the bad side <laughs> of my family's culture from me. Let me give you a perfect example. Yeah. When my son, number two, hit uh, teenage years, I was very disappointed, I'll put it that way, negative towards him because of the things that I perceived were valuable which yeah. I just described to you. Yeah. He didn't see things that way. He was a different kind of personality. So we had lots of conflict. And I realized um, that things were not going well. And there was a cultural shift in our family. I, when I started paying attention to culture, it was just about this time. And I had gone away to a seminar and I was praying and trying to seek guidance and two significant things happened to me. The first, I was in a seminar with about 10 of us and Dr. Covey. Mm. And Dr. Covey uh, took a question at the end of our training session. And the question was as if someone was asking the question I had in my head. And she asked him, how do I change my approach with my kids and my family to create a, the right kind of culture? Yeah. And here's what I would like you to do. The child that you're you're taught thinking about or children you're thinking about, I'd like you to do this exercise. And he had to sit, to sit down with a piece of paper and he said, I'd like you to write everything you hate about what they do. Hmm. And then I went to work. I was <laughs> filled with Yeah. And then he stopped us and he said, now I'd like you to write everything you love about that person or those people. And I started to write things about my son. And yeah. it was it was huge. I loved him because he made our family laugh. I loved him because he had energy. And I started to write all the things that I loved about him down on the piece of paper. And I had this emotional reaction as I was doing it. Right. Dr. Covey said, here's the secret. Here's the answer. You want to create the right culture? Focus on what you love. Wow. And forget entirely what you hate. And he mm -hmm. taught us some skills and I would go home from work after that. And I would sit in the car in my garage and I would give myself a pep talk to leave us beside the culture that I'd learned from my mom and put on what I loved the most about my kids and focus exclusively on what I loved. Yeah. And it started to change. And my relationship with him, with, with Jared started to change. And it wasn't because uh, he was doing anything different. It was because he felt from me a difference. Right. Yeah. And the second thing that happened to me as I was searching and praying, as I was reading in the Doctrine and Covenants, and it told about God's creations and how they give light to each other in their times and seasons. And I realized my role was to be a light and not a judge 
to my kids and to bring a positive, affirming culture to our family for the period, for the season in which they were there. Right. So I wrote the words across the top of my <laughs> office, be a light, not a judge, uh, and right. start to work purposefully on changing our family's culture. Okay, incredible. In fact, I had a similar experience in my life with one of our children that way, and I, I appreciate what you're saying in the in the openness there, what you shared reminds me, first of all, I love, I love that from uh, Covey, you know, to be a light and not a judge. Elder Oak shared an experience in his book called Life, Life's Lessons Learned, where he shared the experience of being in a, uh, a board of education meeting with Elder Maxwell, with Elder Neil A. Maxwell. And Elder Maxwell was kind of in charge of what we would call like the devotional uh, that day and and he just had every he passed a piece of paper out to everyone and and he said i want you to write this one question down and here's the question how do you want to be remembered in your present positions you know how do you want to be remembered and elder oak or president oak said i went somewhere else with that he said all i could think about was the tension between me and one of my children you know on that particular day and so i rephrased the question of how do I want to be remembered in my family? And he recognized that with that particular daughter, you know, that uh, he had just been on her case. He was on her case all the time. She was messy and, uh, and, and just not doing well in certain areas. And he was just really focused on that. I love how you said, talked about focus a minute ago. And that changed his entire relationship with that daughter as he was able to, I like how you said it to, in Covey, to be a light and not a judge, but that's, boy, to be aware of those shortcomings in our life and to be able to make a, make a pivot like that and to change direction, I'm sure changed the entire relationship with Elder Oaks and his daughter, with McKay, you and your son, with me and my son, anyway. It's awesome how we can change. You know, Love this great uh, this great Harvard professor once said, you cannot change as long as you are subject to a thing. Mm. Until you become object to a thing, you cannot change. So as long as you are uh, subject to something, meaning it's having its impact, it's uh, it, it, it's controlling your behavior, until you can get out like a camera and look at it like a third party, and observe your behavior and your family's culture objectively, like a camera would do it and, and observe it and ask questions and seek to understand it, you're unable to change it because you're subject to the culture that's there, right? Right. I think one of the first things of, for people who really wanna change the culture of their family is to make that step, to step out and say, okay, What's happening really? Can I observe it? Can I understand it? And then can I get a game plan for trying to impact it? And is that what you would say, McKay, in terms of how to maybe establish a culture? Is is that would be kind of step one? And then and then step two is to, to start to go to work and maybe create some, what, practices, some habits? Um, how, in other words, how do you how do you establish a culture then? Taking it a little bit further than what you just said, what are, what would be the next steps after that observation and maybe trying to make some of those changes? Yeah, leadership's a strange thing, Mark, because like the scripture in the Old Testament says, along the path, we set up guideposts and signs. 
And oftentimes we're walking down the path and we look behind us and we realize, oh, there's people following us. And we don't realize that by our behavior and what we model and everything else, we're setting up these guideposts or signs for our children to follow in life, right? Right. We're not aware that we're doing it. So really essential first step to understanding culture is to um, observe it, to ask questions, and to seek to understand it. And that may take some time. The next, there's a couple of key principles to, to understanding culture. It's not just the behaviors that your family engages in. It's what your children perceive as valued. It's the words that you use. And it's how they are rewarded and how they feel peace. So you've got to think about those things, uh, each of those things as you go through the process. What is valued? You may have values that you've written down as a family. Like my family had a mission statement when I started to work on our family's culture. And uh, our mission statement was to follow the Lord no matter what. Mm. To be light and not a judge. And to love life to cheerfully, humbly, and willingly pursue our talents and live each day with enthusiasm and love. That was our mission statement. Wow, love it. And that took us a lot of work. Um, and it didn't do much to have a mission statement other than from perhaps my wife and I to begin to say, well, we need to cheerfully, humbly, and willingly help our kids pursue their talents, right? Right. And each day with enthusiasm, and love and enthusiasm was critical to our desire to create a culture in our family that was full of enthusiasm and positivity. So that was important to us. Right. Okay. So after you diagnose and ask some questions, then the very first thing that I would say is words create worlds. Wow. The words you use and what you pay attention to will, in fact, create your culture. You know, I, I'm a constructionist, so I believe that the way that our children make meaning in life is we as parents build the scaffolding upon which they'll stand as they construct their own life's meaning, purpose, and values, okay? Right. We create the scaffolding. So I think it was uh, Abraham Heschel who who's formed that words create worlds. He was a contemporary of Martin Luther King. He is his parents were killed by the Nazis, and he believed that long before the crematoria was the social words, the words that were created in society that allowed the concentration camps and other things to happen. So mm. his goal in life was to train his rabbis that words do create worlds. And I believe that that's true. The words we use do, in fact, create the worlds for our family around us. And I think we don't pay attention much to the words that we use. How do we right. positively affirm our kids? You're you're an expert at this, Mark, but you, you know that, that that has a huge impact. So as you think about culture, maybe one of the first things is start to write down the phrases, the words that you want to incorporate into your daily dialogue. And right. for me, sometimes I have to script it because I'm tasky. I'm not people oriented. So I have to script it a little bit, you know. Right. And then the second thing that I'd say related to words is some of us use, need to use less of them. <laughs> we talk too much. We verbalize our own insecurities. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about our insecurities, but in the right setting. But with our children, sometimes we verbalize too much of those things, and that becomes the prevailing culture. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, totally. 
Um, the next thing I'd say is uh, after words is what you model. Modeling is perhaps the biggest culture creator of all. So as a CEO of an organization right now, and this is an organization that I took over a couple of years ago, there were some things that needed to change. In fact, there was a lot of change that needed to happen. We have about 750 employees. It's a very different kind of culture when I landed. And so after I identified some of the things that needed to change in that culture, the first thing I did was to model them myself. Right. I wanted positivity and affirmation to rule in the culture. Then I've got to be positive and affirming, right? Right. Uh, and if I don't do that, the culture is never going to change. So modeling is huge. It is the scaffolding upon which your children will stand uh, before they make the meaning of their own life. So th that's huge. What you model does, in fact, mat matter. You know, Jim Whitehurst was the was uh, on the board of United Airlines. Hmm. And he said at the start of every board meeting, the first topic of discussion was where the fire exits were, how they were to access the stairs in case of an emergency, and where they would meet afterwards. Now, they were at a building. <laughs> he said, and why would we start every meeting that way? Yeah. United's culture is built on safety, right? And that's what they do inside the aircraft. So he wanted to model that behavior in everything that they did. Every meeting, yeah. Right? So safety became the cultural icon in their organization. Uh, so oh, for cool. sure, modeling is one of the key things. You right. want me to keep going? Yeah, I think you're doing great. I love this. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking family, family, family as you're talking. So, Okay, I'll keep going. Bring it on. Then I would say pr uh, uh, practices. Don't underestimate the wisdom of the gospel in terms of practices. Practices of things like family prayer, especially if family prayer has some dialogue before and after, especially if family prayer has some expression of love, especially when children listen to how their parents pray for them in family prayer. Right. I think the very most effective thing we can do in family prayer is to express uh, our love for our children. And when family prayer is just, you know, routine, you miss out on this huge opportunity to create a culture of love and peace associated with prayer. Right. If there are great feelings and great expressions of love uh, and children want to get together for family prayer because of how they will feel after family prayer is over, they start to associate peace with that time. And the lasting effect that will have on them is they associate prayer with peace. And when they retreat to peace, which we all do in our life, we, we retreat to peace and our habits take us there. They will retreat to that cultural part of your family, right? Right, right. Uh, so what you pay attention to what you focus on in these really important times create culture. You know, I was just reading the other day in the Scientific American, I think it was a study uh, that revealed that young adults who exercised had in-person social interactions. I'll say that one more time. In-person social interactions, attended church and read books had significantly lower rates of depression and conversely, 
Young adults who didn't and spent more than two hours a day on their electronic devices were significantly more like, likely to suffer from depression. Um, so my, here's my point in saying that. Social interaction, in-person, valuable, affirming social interaction has to be part of any family's lasting culture if they want that culture to have good, positive, lasting effects on their life. Make sense? Yeah, it's awesome. In fact, McKay, I think you're talking about some of Gene Twinge's research from iGen, that awesome book. And uh, I love that. The more time they're on screens, the more depressed they are, the more time they're in books, exercising outdoors. Wow. This is, the, this is how our parents were parenting us 50, 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. And it was working, right? So my parents did a really good thing in their culture. The center of our family was not the family room with the television. Yeah. We did have a TV, but it was in the kitchen. Yeah. Where lots of social dialogue was taking place. And then the center room in our house was a den, a library. Yeah. Library and the den was filled with books. And where I would retreat for peace when I was a kid was into that room. And wow. just got into the habit of reading when I was younger. So physical space, how you organize your day also has an impact on culture. That's incredible, McKay. That's, and I remember meeting you as an 18-year-old and you were reading all those Ogmandino books. Those were, that was <laughs> part of you growing up, right? Part of what you were reading. I think that's so awesome. Uh, that's so cool. So one of the things I think about as we're talking is how some cultures are created almost deliberately, right? Intentional culture building and others just kind of happen, right? And I, I'll give you a couple of examples. And I, one of the things I'm thinking of is I remember uh, always wanting a boat when I was a kid, right? And we had one, but we didn't use it that much. But I thought if I was a dad, we, we'd be boating all the time. And I started to as I was in college, your age, I'd go back home to Texas and my brother-in-laws were young. I mean, they were young teenagers at the time. But every time we went there, we would rent a boat or my brother had a boat and we'd go skiing or whatever. Today, all those brothers, those brother-in-laws have boats, except for maybe one or two, but they have boats now and that's part of their family culture. It's part of our family culture. I never went snow skiing in my life until I met you. And all those uh, friends at BYU, every one of my children snow ski. You know, that was something that I was never taught as a, in other words, not all parts of the culture are going to be deeply spiritual. There's just acts and habits and routines that we do. But it's amazing as you're talking about value, how, how much then, you know, I, I watch my children now taking their kids snow skiing, right? And once again, that was never part of my life as a kid, but they were taught it. And now they do it and it'll be passed on to the next generation. And anyway, it's just kind of cool the way that that works. Not intentional. My wife and I never sat down and said, hey, let's create a, a culture of skiing, right? But it's just kind of, or sports. I mean, sports is another one that you see in families. It's often passed down or, or music or drama or whatever. And once again, sometimes not intentional, but valuable, right? Uh, to some degree. So it really is. You get more than your eye color from your parents. <laughs> and by a long shot and they they have an opportunity parents have an opportunity to pass on values and if parents don't think purposefully 
about what values they want to pass on to their children, it will happen. It'll happen anyway. It'll just happen by chance. Right. If you want to pass on to your children that, yes, sports are important and I love sports, but so is science and math and art and the other things that make your mind curious and fill life with amazing, curious, wondrous things, then you've got a value. They've got to see you valuing those things along the way. Sometimes we think if we take our kids to summer science camp, they're going to fall in love with science. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. You got to take your kids to summer science camp and be there with them. And at home in your informal time, uh, there's got, there's got to be curiosity about science if that's what you want your kids to value. Right. Right. And it happens early, Mark. It happens early in life. So early in life. You know, the early childhood longitudinal study followed a group of kids from when they were in kindergarten from 1999 until now. What they found was kids in kindergarten who answered the question, I'm really good at math, ended up focusing on math in higher ed and later in life. Wow. We conclude early in life our identity, don't we? And we base our identity on what happens around us and what we see others value. It's so true. It's it's. It's wonderful and it's awesome the way that the, the way that that can work. So McKay, I'm thinking right now as a you know maybe here we are, we are addressing a young married couple who is just starting off. And I remember when we were young and married, uh, the maybe the very first Sunday that we lived in our new student apartment at BYU, uh, my wife said we should go visit these families. And I remember thinking, wait, visit families like. Like, what are you talking about? She said, yeah, we should go say hi and visit some of these people that we know. And I said, we're going to do that? That's like, that's going to be us? She said, yeah, that's going to be us. Like, we're not going to just sit on Sunday by ourselves and wall ourselves in and and just not really, you know, have anything to do with the outside world. No, we're going to go, we're going to go in, in a way, almost minister to people. And that's not what we did. We were really just having fun, but you know, it was more of a social thing, but but that was the beginning of creating a social culture in our home of, of interacting and being with other people. And then it went from there and right. And a lot of, and a lot of the culture building became very religious, right. Especially with our, with our children. But if you were, if you were in a position and maybe this is a good way to end today, if you were in a position to give some counsel to a young married couple that was just starting to create some traditions, some habits, and really culture building in their in the, in their new relationship and home what any advice for that couple yeah a couple of things the first yeah. is do it on purpose yeah be purposeful seek the lord's culture seek the values that the lord has for example that you know that in the church we often get into the society and cultural elements of our interaction with each other and sometimes lose the focus on the Savior himself. The Savior had so many cultural elements in his teaching. The practices that he espoused are culture building. So center your culture there and do it on purpose would be my first thing. The second thing is you do create in your children, uh, they look into your mirror, if you will, uh, to, as uh, as for their own identity. They're looking at you. For example, Mark, if you absolutely knew, if you had a vision 
and you absolutely knew that your nine-year-old son would grow up to be a world-renowned heart surgeon. I mean, it was certain. You knew it. There was no doubt. How would you treat it? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to be reading science books. We're going to expose them to some awesome videos on YouTube. We're going we're gonna to go visit the guy in the ward that's the surgeon and learn all about it, right? And when he failed his first science test, you wouldn't worry, would you? No. You, okay. The same thing. The second thing that I would say is after do it on purpose and follow the Lord's purpose is to remember they see themselves in you. And your vision of them, your belief as to who they can be, particularly spiritually, will have a lasting impact on them and be a huge part of your culture. Um, remember, the words you use with them can and do make all the difference in the world. Those would be at least two things that I'd say. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, McKay, thank you so much for taking time today, time from your busy schedule. Thanks for sharing some of your your words of wisdom. And uh, once again, so grateful for you and uh, and what you do to make a difference in the world and uh, in your community. So thanks for, for being on today. Mark, this is a great thing that you're doing with this podcast. Uh, good, for, good for you and Jamie on tape for taking this on. It's not an easy thing to do. I know that, but it is doing great good in the world. So thanks for all that you do. Thank you so much, my friend. I really enjoyed our meeting with McKay. Just a lot of insights. I could have talked to him for another hour. Janie, what did you think? Yeah, I loved all of his thoughts and insights and that discussion. I think one thing that really stuck out to me was the word intentional, being intentional. I think we as parents and as families really need to step back and look at our lives, how we want to improve, maybe things we want to change and be intentional. Nothing good happens without intentionality. Right. I mean, sometimes we stumble on things and things happen accidentally, but we have to continue that. But anything good, any di a certain direction we want to go has to be intentional. I yeah. really like that word. Purposeful, deliberate. And I was kind of thinking the opposite. I was thinking along the lines of unintentional, you know, that often we do create cultures habits in our homes that maybe we didn't mean to, but anything that we repeat over and over again is going to kind of become part of our culture, whether, whether it's good or bad, mm, Yeah, you know, it's true. So if it's contention or talking bad about others or sloppy, you know, sloppy habits, a messy house, you know, uh, you know, spiritual things, you know, could all fall into the category, especially things that, that maybe draw us away from the spirit it kind of reminds me of that uh, poem from years ago called the calf path. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. The calf but... path. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, it's where the, the calf walks, you know, through the, through the woods and then other animals kind of follow that trail that the calf took and that trail becomes a path. And over time with more animals and more people, the trail becomes a road and by the way, this is a super windy road because it's just following this. The calf. <laughs> the calf, right? Yeah. Anyway, and then the road eventually becomes like a thoroughfare. The calf's been dead for 300 years, but this is how everyone just goes. People complain about it. They're upset about it, that to go one mile, you know, to travel one mile, you have to ha actually go three miles on the path <laughs> to go one. But they've just been doing it for decades, for years and years and years, because this is just how things have been done. And so I like also McKay's concept of 
you really need to take a step back and observe, you know, to step back and observe and watch your family for a little while with some uh, objective eyes, so to speak, to see if you can notice some of the things that do need to change or improve or, you know, that that you could make that. Yeah. Yeah. Things that you can improve anyway. So the invitation this week is we'll just we're just going to stay with the idea of let's do something and whatever you feel inspired to do, whatever that is. Yeah. Whatever that is from from listening to this. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, we'll see you later.